Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast, Omar here. Uh, the midweek sermon you're about to listen to is from our very own David Diga Hernandez. He's talking about the subject of fasting, probably my favorite, if not the best message on fasting I've ever heard. You're going to be challenged, you're going to be uh, inspired. It's, uh, it's, it really talks about the, the reasons for fasting and the effectiveness it can have on our walk with God. Uh, you might even skip lunch today. So uh, enjoy, I hope that you're blessed. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise tonight? Um, I'm going to start doing something a little bit different here tonight. I'm going to minister tonight on prayer and fasting and the power of prayer and fasting. And we're going to go deep into the scripture and really take a look at what the Bible says concerning this very powerful thing that you can do to elevate your prayer life to the next level. I really do believe that God wants to begin to manifest his presence and power in the same way in this nation, in this region, and in this church. So we we have to stop limiting the Holy Spirit's power, and we have to stop just coming through these doors and expecting business as usual. It's not just going to happen. You have to contend for it because God is searching for a people who he can trust with the move of the Holy Spirit. So I want to get into the word. And um, in a moment, uh, we'll get into worship a little later. We'll pray with some people. Uh, Steve, if you could stay with me as I minister this. I want to minister this teaching on how to fast and pray. I don't know how much of this I'm going to get through tonight. I want to try to take about 20, 30 minutes or so. And then I want to pray with you. And let's believe God for a move of the Holy Spirit right here, right now in this city. Amen. Now I'm going to teach this lesson. And as I do, I want you to really open your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. So, concerning prayer and fasting, the act of faith is really what begins to produce the results in the Spirit. Now, how many of you have your Bibles here tonight? Let me see. Raise your hand if you have your Bibles. You need to bring your Bible or your Bible app to church, okay? So... It's the act of faith that produces power. And when it comes to fasting, I would say that this is the order of neglect that we really reject these practices that we should all be participating in. So I would say it goes in this order from the least neglected to the most neglected. Very few believers neglect worship in their life. It's something that we all participate in. We sing the songs, we give the expressions from our heart and thankfulness toward God. And then the next is prayer. Prayer, though it is often neglected by many believers, it is probably still among the least neglected of all the spiritual disciplines. Prayer is our communication with God. Prayer is when we go to the secret place or when we pray without ceasing or when we take that time away for the Lord, as in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, or when we actually go to the place in our heart and retreat to that private place of prayer, even in the middle of daily activity. So prayer can be held in private, and prayer can be held throughout your day, but prayer is still among the least neglected of all spiritual practices. I would say the top two neglected of all spiritual practices have to be, number one, devotion to the Word, 
Because if I were to do a survey in this room right now asking how many of you pray, most of you would raise your hand. But if I did another survey and asked, and please don't participate in this, it's just an imaginary one, okay, don't out yourself in that way. If I were to ask this room how many of you are in the word every day, even fewer would raise your hands. In fact, I would dare say that it's a minority in this room who are actually in the word daily. And you would be surprised how many of your issues in life would be solved if you simply got in the word. People often want to come to me and say, well, what's the secret? How do I do this? How do I hear the voice of God? How do I have breakthrough? How do I overcome sin? The first thing I ask them is, are you devoted to the word? And if they say no, then I tell them, go back and do that. And if the problem persists, then come and talk to me. Nine times out of ten, they'll go and do that. And they don't have to come back because the word of God is the foundation for spiritual growth. So that's one of the most neglected spiritual practices. But I would dare say that even beyond that, The most neglected of all spiritual practices is fasting. Fasting is something that takes your prayer life, your spiritual life, your faith, your devotion to the word, your passion, your evangelism, all of it. Fasting takes it to a higher level. Fasting detaches you from this world and connects you with the heavenly realm. And as I said, we're going to go through the scripture as much as I possibly can And I want to show you in the Bible why fasting is so powerful. So the Bible is very clear, as we'll find as we go through the scripture, that fasting works. It's powerful. It's potent. It it intensifies the power on your prayer. Now, the Bible is also clear about the benefits of fasting, which I'll show you some tonight. But the Bible doesn't exactly give us a reason as to why fasting works. Now, the way my mind works is I want to know the mechanics behind what I'm doing. But what I've discovered as I've read through the scripture in search of the reason why fasting works is that fasting just works, but the Bible doesn't give us the reason why it works. And that's always frustrated me because you know, if you know me and the way I teach, I like to really break it down as far as I possibly can before I present it to you. But I'm telling you, reading from Genesis to Revelation several times in search of that answer, the Bible does not give us a reason as to why. Now, there are hints at what takes place in the spiritual realm. Say, for example, Daniel, who, who in the book of Daniel, where he releases a prayer, but the, the angelic visitation was prohibited by the prince and the power of the air. And there was some spiritual warfare that took place, some activity that prevented the prayer from coming to pass. And it actually slowed down. In the spirit, the answer to that prayer. Now we know that's what happened. But never in the Bible are we given a clear look beyond the veil to look at the activity of what is actually occurring in the spiritual realm when we're fasting and praying. We can only infer some of the basic principles about fasting from the scripture. So the Bible doesn't give us a clear reason as to why it works. But the Bible is very clear on one thing. It absolutely works. So we can guess and make inference, as I said. But ultimately, fasting is an act of faith. Fasting is an act of obedience. And here are two spiritual laws I want to give you. And these two spiritual laws that I'm about to give you may explain why fasting works. Number one, the first spiritual law. For every natural act of faith, there is a divine reaction. For every natural act of faith, there is a divine reaction. 
If you ever feel stuck in ministry, in life, in your spiritual walk, if you ever feel stuck in any regard, like you're just hitting the ceiling again and again and you can't quite get past that one place, I'm going to tell you the key to overcoming those barriers. It's an act of faith. To get yourself unstuck, to push through those stubborn barriers in life. Have you ever felt that way in the spirit? Like you just can't get past this place in ministry? Like you just can't get past this place in your mindset, in your emotions, in your health, in whatever area when you feel like you've hit the ceiling and you can no longer push beyond that point. The way to break that is mostly always an act of faith and a radical one at that. You just got to step out and do something. So the second spiritual law is whatever strengthens my spirit weakens my flesh. Now, examples of acts of faith, I'm going to give you quick references. We don't have the time to go into each one. Examples of this, Moses parting the Red Sea, that's Exodus 14, 21. Israel shouting down the walls of Jericho, that's Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. Elijah calling down fire from heaven, that's 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 38. That's laying hands on the sick, that's an act of faith in partnership with what the Holy Spirit is doing, that's Mark chapter 16, verse 18. Anointing the sick with oil. That's James chapter 14 through 15. Now that's an odd act indeed. I mean, think about it. If somebody is sick, I don't know how, but the oil, which is representative of the Holy Spirit, somehow has this power. And it's not the oil we know this. It is the act of faith. Now I have with me tonight a friend of mine. This is uh, Pastor Joshua Mills. Now I promised I wouldn't make you do anything. He said, please don't make me do anything. Could you stand up just real quick and wave to this? Is the, this is my friend, Pastor Joshua. Um, Steve and I had coffee with him this, this afternoon. Now, you have probably been in that situation where, you know, you're praying for the sick. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit calls you and says, get the oil. And I don't understand it. I don't know why it works. I just accept the fact that it works because it's a response to what God has spoken. Now, let me tell you something. The only difference between an act of faith and an act of foolishness, and this is going to be very practical and it's not going to sound very deep. How do you know? Because some people ask, well, how do I know if I'm stepping out in faith on something that I shouldn't be stepping out on? How do I know if I'm going to do this and it's actually going to work? How do I know it's not just foolishness? How do you balance wisdom and faith? The only way to tell the difference between an act of faith and an act of foolishness is whether or not God has spoken. If God promised you something, you can't fail. Did you hear what I said? Now, I want you to really hear this because this has a lot to do with the way we fast because sometimes we become discouraged in the process. I'm going to say it again. If God has promised you something, in the pursuit of that promise by faith, you cannot fail. You can't fail. Some of you have been praying about steps of faith. Some of you have been praying about taking things to the next level. And you don't quite know what to do. You've got to take that step of faith. You have to do it. So, faith is demonstrated always, always, always. Faith is demonstrated through action. In James chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So, faith moves things in the spirit realm. Faith removes blockages and tears down stubborn barriers. So we don't know exactly why. 
Prayer, when it is coupled with fasting, has more potency, but we know that it does. So, again, whenever you feel spiritually stuck or stagnant, carry out an act of faith. And we're told to persist when we pray. Matthew 7, 7 tells us, ask, seek, knock, persistent, persistent, persistent. Somebody asked me, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? If God ultimately does his will, why do we pray? The answer is simple. We pray not necessarily to bring about the will of God. That will come to pass whether he has to turn the hearts of people or not. We pray that we might participate in the will of God. And so persistence doesn't move God. There is no, there is no pressuring God. Nobody could, you're, you're, you're foolish if you think that your prayers are convincing God to do something he doesn't want to do. When I persist in prayer, I'm not persuading God, I'm participating with him. When I persist in prayer, I'm not persuading God to do anything. Instead, I'm becoming someone that persistence in prayer is turning me into someone who can receive what God has for me. And so, like a sledgehammer, like a sledgehammer slips, chips away at a brick wall. I want you to picture that. Now, I'm not into construction. I don't plan on being. And if you had me on site, I would probably violate some safety rule and someone would be injured. I'm not someone you want to do construction with. But I've seen them do it. Like a sledgehammer chips away at a brick wall, so our prayers chip away at spiritual barriers. And fasting adds more strength to each strike. I may not understand the why, but by faith I know the what. Now, I say pray like the miracle depends on the prayer, but trust the results to God. We are told in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. That's what the Bible says. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. This is Jesus speaking now. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So it's cliche to say every preacher who's ever read this portion of scripture says this, but I have to say it because it's a great point. Jesus did not say if you fast, he said when you fast. So he's already assuming that his disciples will fast. But not only does that phrase, when you fast, imply that he definitely expects us to fast. That phrase, when you fast, implies a regular part of your life. As often as you do fast is a better way to word it. As often as you do fast, as you fast regularly, here's how you practice it. Don't do it like the Pharisees. So you do it persistently, you do it privately, and you do it prayerfully. This is where faith comes in. Now, fasting is not like a birthday wish. Don't get superstitious. And if somebody finds out you're fasting, suddenly all the power is lost. Okay, Jesus was addressing an attitude about an attitude that had this desire to be noticed. And he says, if that's why you're doing it, that's all you're going to get out of it. So sometimes people will use that as an excuse because they really don't want to fast when the church fasts. And they'll say, well, I don't really want to do it then because then everybody will know. And that's a religious excuse to hide when the New Testament church often would fast together, as I'll show you in the scripture. 
So, so there are corporate fasts, there are personal fasts, but what Jesus is talking about here is an attitude of wanting to be seen. If you're doing it to impress people, that's all the reward you will have. But if you do it sincerely, then that's when there's power. So do it persistently, that's regularly. Do it privately, that's from sincerity. And do it prayerfully, do it full of faith. I had a friend of mine who used to just fast because he liked the idea of starving himself and then just eating at the end of it all. And that does seem tempting. I mean, I guess in, like in and out really is that much better when you've not had anything in like three days. It's true. So, I'm I, I, very dangerous doing that. I might have said something. But um, I don't even know who said that. I'm going to get you later. Okay, now. No, but, but in all seriousness... We do it with the intention of connecting with God. So there's different types of fasts I'm going to show you real quick. And, um, and then we'll, we'll get into this. If you can, Mr. Maki. You always, how many appreciate the worship ministry, Mr. Stephen Maki-Zimon? I bet you're so tired of hearing me say that. Everywhere we go, I'm promoting this guy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Number one, there's the food fast. Okay, this is Matthew 4.2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It does not say he was thirsty. You'll notice, as I'm about to show you in the scripture, that if you fast water, the the fast with water didn't go beyond three days. There was a pastor, sadly, in South Africa who decided that he was going to do a water and food fast for 40 days, and he was found dead after 30. And here was the issue. Had they read it, they would have found that Jesus did not fast water. Jesus fasted food. So I'm not saying you don't fast water. I'm saying if you do, you better hear from God, number one. The only person who fasted food and water for more than three days was Moses, and that's because he was face-to-face with God. So if you want to fast food and water for 40 days, by all means, but please be sure you're face-to-face with God, or you might end up face-to-face with God. So, (laughs) So the food fast is the first one. There's no mention of Jesus being thirsty. The devil did not tempt him with liquid. He did not say, turn this sand into water. He said, turn this stone into bread. Why? Because he was tempting him at the point of his hunger. There was no water. There was no liquid at this point. So this is where I have to interject. Some people ask, what about coffee and juice and smoothies? Can I tell you something? The whole point of a food fast is the idea that I'm not getting nutrition or nutrients or strength from anything. And if you drink coffee, you drink a smoothie, you drink juices, you're actually getting nutrients and you're just eating liquid, you're eating liquid food. I, I had a cousin who would actually blend cheeseburgers, drink it as a smoothie and say he was fasting. I kid you not. That's what he would do. It's disgusting. I know. But that's what he would do. And he would say, I'm fasting, but not realizing he's still getting sustenance. The whole point of it, as I'm going to show you, and there's a lot, I say I'm as I'm going to show you, but let's hope I can get to it. Um, So there's no mention of Jesus being thirsty. And here's here's what astonishes me about this portion of scripture. Matthew 4, 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was not hungry during the 40 day and 40 night fast. Do you realize, and I'm not there yet. I'm just going to be real with you. You realize that you could be so empowered by the Holy Spirit that the hunger doesn't even hit you during the fast? I know of people who've done it. I am not there yet if I'm just being real with you. Okay? So then there's the food and water fast. This is Esther 4.16 and Ezra 10.6. And remember, these fasts never went beyond 
beyond three days or one night. And you'll read that in Ezra 10.6 and Esther 4.16. Then there's a dietary fast. I don't think this necessarily counts as a fast. I'm a little more traditional in my view, but I have to present it because it's in the Bible. And the Bible says in Daniel 10.3 that there was, a, there was certain things that they were prohibited from eating. Now, some people take this diet as a fast, but please understand that though this is a good practice, though this is something that is going to help you, it's going to make you healthier, and it will teach you discipline, biblically speaking, it is not the fast. And there's nothing in the New Testament that says anything about a Daniel fast. It's a Daniel diet. I'm not condemning it. I'm not saying it has no benefit. If you're doing that, praise God, go for it, because you will get some benefit from it. But I'm saying if you want to take it to the next level, it's the food fast. Okay? And then I don't have time to go into this definitely. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 talks about how during a time of prayer, you would abstain from sexual relations. Hopefully you're doing that if you're not married anyway, but this is talking about married couples, that they abstain from sexual relations. Some of you single people just call it a, a lifelong fast until you get married, okay? So... So they abstain from sexual relations. They don't have the sexual relations. And then they come back together after the fast. Now, this scripture may hold the key to the, the foundation of a belief system that will teach you that you can fast other things besides food. It's possible. I, I, I've studied it. I'm not convinced either way if I'm just being open with you. Um, it's possible that you can fast things like social media. It's possible that you can fast things like your phone. I call that discipline, not necessarily fasting. But, but you will gain benefits from doing that. But again, I think traditionally speaking, and especially with the New Testament truths that we see, we can understand what a real fast is. And a real fast is abstaining from food for an extended period of time with the intention of devoting yourself to prayer and the discipline of it. Okay. So then there's the lengths of fast. So there's different lengths you can do. So there's a partial day, Judges 20, 26. There's a one-day fast, 2 Samuel 1, 12. And you can go back to the Praise Chapel Paramount podcast and get all these later. Um, there's the three-day fast, which is the traditional fast. That's Esther 4, 16. And again, that's about as long as a water fast will go. Um, there's the one-week fast, 1 Samuel 31, 13. There's the 21-day fast, that's Daniel 10, 3. There's the 40-day fast, that's Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Then there's the supernaturally sustained fast, that's Exodus 34, 28, where it says, Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And that's when he was face-to-face with God. In no other portion of Scripture will you find that anybody abstained from water for more than three days. So again, you have to be wise with these things. It is a physical body, and this, by the way, is another reason why you should keep yourself healthy so that you can participate in the spiritual discipline. So, how often should you fast? And if I'm going fast, oh, there's no pun intended. If I'm going through this quickly, it's because I got a clock, and I want to make sure I have time to pray for some of you. Luke chapter 18, verse 12, um, one, of the, 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 one of the religious uh, men comes to Jesus, and or, or no, I'm sorry, one of the religious men, the Pharisees, is praying to God, and he's basically bragging about how he keeps the law and how he lives. And Luke 18, 12 says, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So he's bragging, saying, I'm keeping up regularly with this. So don't worry, I'm, I'm not saying you have to fast twice a week. What I am saying is this is what they believed back then was the practice. Now, in Luke 2, 37, we get a clearer indication of how often we should fast. 
The Bible says, Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with prayer and fasting. This is indicating to us that she had a regular practice of fasting. Now, after having read all that, Jesus never said how often to fast. He never taught it very clearly. And then in the New Testament, there is even some debate on how often we should do it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. My recommendation, my recommendation, this is not Bible. This is not scripture. I'm giving you a recommendation. To make it a regular part of your life, I would recommend doing a fast at least once a quarter. Maybe a partial day fast, a one day fast, a three day fast, and you work your way up to it like any discipline. I would recommend at least once a quarter doing a fast, and I'm going to show you some of the benefits to that. So the benefit or the, way, the reasons they would fast back then, number one, in the Old Testament, they would fast for morning, not the daytime, morning, M-O-U-N, so okay, or M-O-U-R-N. So they would mourn, they would, they would, this, would, this was an expression of sorrow. Now, in the New Testament, I really need you to hear me clearly here. In the New Testament, there's no reason to believe that we are to fast because we're trying to discipline ourselves. This mentality that we have to punish ourselves to please God is not biblical. So some people say, oh, I've done something wrong. I'm going to go fast now because I, I, I just deserve to be punished and God is angry with me. No, that's never why we fast in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, yes. But in the New Testament, Christ took that shame, Christ took that punishment, and he took that suffering. So there's none left for us, okay? Now, in 1 Samuel 7, 3-6, we see that repentance is an important part of fasting. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to get through all of these. Can you believe it's, almost, it's already been almost a half hour here? So there's a lot of stuff to give you, okay? So let me just come down there for, you for a second. Am I good to do this? I got a thumbs up. Thank you. Zavala, Stephen Zavala. I appreciate you, man. You're there all the time. Okay, 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 6, talks about how fasting was used in repentance. And this right here, we have to be careful because there's a little bit of a nuance to it. You can fast to repent, but let me tell you why that's beneficial in the act of repentance. 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So prayer and fasting are not mandatory for receiving forgiveness from God. However, however, watch this now. When I fast, I'm weakening. Remember, whatever strengthens my spirit weakens my flesh. When I fast, I use it as an act of repentance, and here's how it works. When you've been overcome by some sin, when you've been overcome by some attitude, something not right in your heart, it took time to create that attitude. It took time to put you in a position where you became that person who again returned to those old habits. Remember, you cannot be delivered from the flesh yet. The flesh doesn't come and go. The flesh shrinks and grows. And depending upon how we practice our spirituality, we will see that old man, that old nature, either weakened or strengthened. So let's say I go through a period of time where my flesh becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and I find myself returning to old mentalities, old attitudes, old uh, sinful habits, so forth and so on. Now, when I go to fast, I'm basically putting that flesh back in check and while I'm fasting, 
I'm taking away the strength from my flesh that it gained during that period of time where I was compromising. You understanding what I'm saying? So, so the flesh becomes strong. You start to find old habits returning. You say, I got to fast. When you see old habits returning, old mindsets returning, old attitudes, you got to get on your face and you got to go fast. Because what that does is it tells the flesh, look, you're basically grabbing your old nature by the neck. And you're saying, I'm not going to let you gain strength. And you, you're choking the life out of it and weakening it so that it becomes subjected to you. It's almost like you're saying to it, I, I, I let you have this much strength gained. Now I'm going to pull away your strength and it resets you on a new path to spirituality. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reset. So I weaken the flesh again. And then I say, now I'm taking the reins. And you continue in that new weakened state of the flesh. So you can fast, number three, for clarity. That's Acts 13.2. They got clarity on decisions. You can fast while establishing a ministry. Acts 14.23. I'm willing to bet Pastor Omar fast when deciding who he's going to send out. I'm willing to bet. You, 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 I, I'm sure you don't just decide you're going to send I'm sure you devote extra time to prayer. That's what they did in the New Testament. Because when you fast to establish a ministry or you establish it with prayer, you give it deeper roots when it begins. Okay? Number five, you can fast for favor. Esther 4.16. Number six, you can fast for healing. Psalm 35, 13 through 14. And again, you can get all this on the podcast later on the Praise Chapel Paramount podcast. You can fast for spiritual preparation. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Matthew 4, 3 through 4, you can fast to learn dependence on God. Jesus went fasting, and then the enemy came to tempt him. Now, I'm going to close with this thought. I'm, again, I'm not going to be able to go through everything. Let me, no, let me actually jump to the next one. Number 9, it's practice for temptation. Matthew 4, 1. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he was tempted. You notice he was not tempted by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness, and it was in the wilderness that the enemy attacked him. Whenever God is calling you to higher places, the enemy comes in to try to disrupt what God is doing. So, so Jesus is called into the wilderness. He's fasting now. Now watch this. This is incredible. Jesus is basically being taunted by the enemy. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. He's hungry. He's starving. What do they say? If you are the Son of God, gratify your flesh. Here, turn these stones into bread. What did they say to him when he was on the cross? You guys, what did they say to Jesus when he was on the cross? They taunted him. They said, if you're what? If you are the Son of God. Now, where did he practice the discipline of not giving in to that taunt? I have a, a pastor friend, and Pastor Omar, you know him. He has a, a, a flight simulator built in his room. Like, when I say flight simulator, I don't mean like a computer with a joystick. I mean like he built the whole cockpit in his living room. And so I go to his house. It's a very expensive hobby. So I go to his house. I go to his house, right? And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you to fly a plane. I'm like, teach me to fly a plane? What are you talking about? He said, no, no, I have a simulator. I said, okay, good, because we wouldn't survive that. Um, <laughs> so we go, we go to his house, and, and I think I told you about this. We sit in the thing, 
and he sits me in the pilot's chair. I'm thinking, okay, it's just a little simulator. No, it's not just a simulator. Like, he takes this seriously. Apparently, there's a whole online community of these people who simulate their pilot, their piloting, and there's an online community of people who pretend to be air traffic control. I kid you not, it's a whole thing. So I get in, I get in, and we're sitting down. I'm like, okay, we're, and he's instructing me, go ahead and uh, do something with the flap thingamajig. And I'm like, he's, he's like, that one, okay. I'm like, I have my headset on. They're, they're calling me in, okay. We're, they're, they're saying all the, this chatter on the radio. He's like, they're telling you pull to the runway now. I'm like, oh, okay. And he's guiding me through the whole thing on how to get on the runway and take off and everything. And so, literally, this is like, they're all very serious about this. I thought we were going to have some fun. No, he's like, pay attention, please. You're going to crash the plane. I'm like, oh, Okay. And so, so we take off, right? We take off in, in this, this simulated world. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to land this thing now. I go, okay, well, well uh, can I land? He goes, no, this is a 35-minute flight. I said, what? In 35 minutes, we'll land. I was like, like a simulated 35 minutes, right? Like not, no, actually 35 minutes, I'm just... The whole time, he's, 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 okay, now we've reached our, 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 our cruising altitude. Go ahead and pull back on the whatever. And so I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like, this, this guy's really serious. And so we start to land this thing. And I'm like, I feel good at this point. I have 35 minutes of flying experience. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to land this thing now. I, I come and bring it into a landing. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm real confident. And the screen goes black. 35 minutes of this. He didn't even look at me. He takes his headset off, he sighs, you crashed the plane. <laughs> People are freaking out on my headset, oh, we got a, a plane crash, plane crash. They're, they're all like terrified, like, 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 like I crashed a real plane. <laughs> Community was upset with me. I caused havoc that day. And I said, thank God it's only the simulation. People have asked me, Brother David, if I break a fast, does God get angry with me? The fast is the simulation. The fast teaches you the areas in yourself that are weakest when your flesh is strongest. The fast teaches you to discipline yourself. The fast teaches you how to pursue God. The fast teaches you how to depend on God for strength. The fast teaches you how to say no to the flesh and all those cravings. So that when the temptation actually comes, you can say, I've practiced this before. And you can deny it. Now, here, here's why. It's the safe ground. See, if you go out and actually commit some atrocious sin, there's going to be real consequences. But the fast is your simulator. The fast is, is when you can get in there, devote it to God. God's not going to strike you down. What is there to repent of other than you just didn't keep the fast? It's not a sin to break a fast. You just, okay, I messed that one up. Let me go again. Another simulation. You know, when you're really hungry, when you're really tired, that's when it's hardest to control your attitude, control your mindset. But if you can handle it in the simulator, you can handle it in real life. So there are many more. There's a lot we didn't get to cover tonight. Um, just buy my book. Uh, no, it's not out yet. It's coming out November 17th. I have a, I have a, 
It's, 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 the book is called, the book is called Praying in the Holy Spirit, Keys to, to Igniting and, and Keeping Your Prayer Life. And so this is, this is going to be in there, but this is not a commercial. I'm just saying it so you know. Uh, but, but you can go back and listen to that on the podcast. I think that there's, there needs to be some commitments here tonight to, to a regular seeking of the face of God. There's so much to fasting we didn't get to talk about, like a lot, okay? This is like at least a three-part. But, but, but hopefully there's something that I gave you tonight that made you go, oh, I want that. And fasting must become a regular part of you. You, you do this, you watch. You're, you're going to find that when you fast, the things that you struggle to overcome, they're going to break right off of you. They're going to break right off of you. And, and, and this, is, this is how we break those things, guys. Not just breaking things off you that you don't want on you, but also developing in ways you never thought you could develop. When people fast and pray, when I fast and pray, you guys can tell when I'm fasting and praying, I'll tell you, when I start doing those really creepy, specific words of knowledge. It's a little creepy, don't lie. It's somewhat invasive. We were just in um, Texas and the words of knowledge that were coming out were scaring me. They said, how did you know? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but you can have this. This is, this is a discipline that we've neglected. And I think that if we make this a regular part of our lives, not only fasting, but devotion to the word, prayer and worship, you do this. And, and let me tell you, let me just challenge you a little bit. Why don't you take the next three months to devote yourself to these disciplines. Why not a one-day fast once a month for the next three months? And when you fast, don't just starve yourself because then you're just starving yourself, but devote yourself to prayer and you watch the power of God move in your life. If you're willing to commit to that, come stand up here real quick. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.